0: Block Talk Radio Choices, decisions Frustrations and pain Knowing I'm going To forget her someday While I still can I'll challenge all my loved ones Every friend To look inside their hearts I uh-huh.
1: Well, hello everyone and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I don't know what the weather's like where you are, but we are gearing up for one more winter storm. Hopefully it'll be our last one in Minnesota. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, I'll just give you a little background before we break into our conversation. Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we truly believe that by having these everyday conversations and joining forces, we can shift life with dementia. We can help remove the stigmas attached to memory loss, and we can help people living with the disease continue to live with purpose um, together. We really can help others understand the true needs of this disease, not only for those diagnosed, but for family and friends, um, work environments and communities, etc. It's, it's really important. This is not a disease of one. This truly is a disease of society. And we know that we're making a difference at Alzheimer's Speaks because we were lucky enough um, to be recognized as the number one influencer regarding Alzheimer's Uh, according to SHARE Care and Dr. Oz. And that has to do, because all of you believe in this conversation, you are liking and sharing not only the radio show, but the Dementia Chats webinars, which are free where we interview people with dementia. So when you can't um, ask your family member or loved one or maybe person that you're working with um, a question about the disease, you can go ahead and, and come into the webinar and ask our, ask our experts living with the disease and they'll give you their honest opinions and answers. We also have the blog and the resource website. Again, we're all about raising everyone's voice. Um, we don't care who you are in society. You have an impact on this disease and you have the power to make the difference. And we need to connect people to all of those dots all the way around the world. I'd also like to throw out if if you think you might have a story, um, that would be of interest to our our listenership. Please reach out to me. You can just go to AlzheimerSpeaks dot com and there's a big contact button. Shoot me an email. You can always contact me through Blog Talk Radio as well. It's just a little bit easier through the the website there. Um, but let me know what you have. You may, maybe it's a product, a service, or a tool. Maybe it's a story of caring. Um, maybe you're the one who's been diagnosed and you'd like your voice heard. Um, again, we we try to really have a, a wide variety of people on this show because I think it really inspires us to get creative and try new ways. Um, sometimes we can get into slumps. The other thing I want to mention is with our show, we really like to hear your comments. And you can comment two ways. There's a chat box that you can use, and I will be monitoring that throughout the show. Um, and so you can go ahead and write your comments. Um, in the chat box or questions or you can always call in live to the show and that number is 714 364 4757 again that's 714 364 4757 now, before we get started, um, people are always asking for resources, and so i just like to highlight a few of my personal favorites that I think um, just have tons of great information. And the first one that I want to throw out to all of you is Alzheimer's Disease International. They are the organization of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. So if you're looking for some support um, or maybe some, some research and statistics, um, or um, just looking for maybe a caregiver support group in your area, you can go to Alzheimer's Disease International. or um, And you can Google that name, or you can go to www.alz.co.uk. Um, another thing I always get is, where can I find... Some holistic information. Um, that's becoming more and more popular. And the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation has been working on holistic modes to help with care um, for over 20 years. So if you just go to alzheimersprevention.org, again that's alzheimersprevention.org, you will find tons of great information on that site. Um, Others are dealing with specific types of diseases like Lewy Body. And so the Lewy Body um, Dementia Association you know, will, will be able to help you with specifics of that particular type of dementia. And they've made it real easy. They've abbreviated, so it's LBDA for Lewy Body Dementia Association. Again, that's lbda.org. There's also the Frontal Temporal Lobe Association, and they are the theAFTD.org. Again, it's www.theAFTD.org. And there's also the National Aphasia Association, um, and that's where people have difficulty in speaking which can be very common with this disease. And so if you just go to aphasia.org, and that is spelled A-P-H-A-S-I-A. Again, that's A-P-H-A-S-I-A.org. Um, <clears throat> we also have people calling in a lot about um, trials and studies. And the Alzheimer's studies group Um, has a a great trial going on right now for TAU. They're in their third clinical trial, which means they're pretty far along. And so if you just go to www.alzheimersstudies.com, or if you're on Facebook, you can go to the Alzheimer's team as well. And then I always like to throw out a few things about just social engagement. Um, things that I think can really, really help. I know they've helped me and my family and so many others. Puzzle With Me is a great organization that's designed puzzles that are adult-specific, larger pieces, um, and not as many. And so those work really well. The Jiminy Wicket program is a croquet program that is intergenerational. You can use it as a family Um, They also do programs with schools and match them up with uh, communities. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful um, way, uh, again, to interact. And um, James Crecy, I was out with him in New York at the, um, oh, where the heck was it? I forgot where we were. Isn't that funny? But we were out in New York and and launched the program, and it was was absolutely incredible um, to see everybody interact out there. Uh, Last I'm going to mention is music first with choral health. Um, Music is extremely powerful, and it's a great way to connect. It's a great way to bring kind of peace and solace um, and to be able to switch up moods but they've done something what they kind of call music prescriptions. So they can help wake people up, put them to sleep, um, have them eat easier, and it's an app um, called Music First. So you can just go to Coral Health, and that's coro com, coro um, com, And then very last that I'm going to mention is, of course, the Purple Angel Project with Norms McNamara which is all about becoming dementia-aware, raising awareness uh, through the use of a logo. And the goal with that is really to be the pink ribbon like uh, breast cancer, so that everybody knows what this stands for and um, how important it is and, and how it affects people. And if you'd like more information on that, you can just go to alzheimerspeaks.com, go to our About page, and there'll be um, a specific tab right there on the Purple Angel. I'd be more than glad to talk to you about that. So let me introduce our first guest here. I'm really excited to have Molly Carpenter with us. She is an author, a speaker, a trainer, and a family caregiver. And she brings years of personal and professional um, senior care experience to training families in how to deal with dementia care. Um, She is extremely passionate in the older adult population and really that started for her back in high school when she was working in adult day programs. And it's just really continued. Uh, she's never forgotten her experience um, due to her work in skilled nursing and adult day centers and the continuum um, care communities. Her current role, though, is she works with a team that's responsible for ensuring that and stead Sixty thousand caregivers worldwide, yes, I said, sixty thousand caregivers worldwide have the resources necessary to effectively provide quality care in the home and that they understand the important work that they do, enhancing the lives of those they serve um, this background of hers really makes her very uniquely qualified to author a book that's designed specifically to help family caregivers provide um, better care uh, to, to their loved ones with dementia, and then also um, I think it's great for, for staff as well. And the book is called Confidence to Care, and it's a resource for family caregivers providing Alzheimer's disease and other dementia care at home. Um, Molly's work as part of this team um, you know, has really developed this per- person-centered approach to Alzheimer's care, and this approach has been adopted and adapted globally, and it really has been... Um, just a critical aspect, I think, to home instead and their, their care approach um, for people with dementia. So I want to I wanna welcome Molly, and I, I'm so excited, like I said, to have her on with us today because this book is, is absolutely um, fascinating. It's, it's well laid out and just has wonderful, wonderful tips in it. So welcome, Molly.
2: Thank you, Lori. I'm so glad to be here today.
1: Well, I like I said, I'm thrilled to have you um, on the show. This is a um, uh, this is a fascinating book that you've put together, and I know that. Thank you. I I, I, I believe anyways that you were also touched personally with your grandma, um, that that kind of inspired you on this.
2: You know, yes. My grandmother, I I never met my grandfathers, so so I was very close with my grandmothers, and my one grandmother um, had cancer and passed away when I was in college. But my, grand my recent grandmother passed away in November, and she, um, although was never diagnosed with Alzheimer's, she did have some dementia, especially in the last year of her life, which is very typical. I believe we all know. She was ninety eight years old and so the chances of getting dementia at that age are pretty you know, you're prevalent, you're going to get it. So she definitely had a lot of dementia in the end and in this last year, last almost two years, it definitely progressed. And you know, uh it was amazing we have a very close family and all of us she lives about forty five miles from me and uh my mom and my sister and so you know, we're out there, my mom's there every day, we're there every other day, and just to see the difference in how all of our different family members interact with her was, was sort of um, the conduit or, or made me really think about this book and really think about how can we help families because they just didn't have experience or know how to handle it or know what to say and know what to the right thing to say is, and they what ended up happening is they would learn from me. I would sort of lead by example and, and you know, for example, if she would say something about mixing a time up, like, oh, 20 years I did this when really it was two years ago. I would just say, well, tell me more about that time and tell me more about that this situation instead of correcting her and saying, no, Grandma, this just happened two years ago. I mean, there was just no point in, in doing that. So it, it's funny how that happened, how I would you know, just sort of take a different approach, and then the rest of my family would learn and start taking the same approach and use the same words and 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 sort of guide the conversation how I would guide it. So it was really um, one of the reasons that I started to think about, boy, there's there's more we can do to help families. Well, there's always more we can do to help families, but this was sort of the, you know, what made me think about it.
1: Yeah, well, and it is um, interesting, the the family dynamics and just... That exists mm-hmm. within society as general. How differently everybody approaches things, and yes. there is no, there is really no right or wrong because all of our personalities and attitudes come into play. Um, and I think, to me, that's one of the things that's so fascinating with this disease is, you know, it really allows people to be who they are and and yet get creative and have backup yes. plans because there's lots of different approaches and as you know what yes. works one moment might not work the next. next Right. Um can you tell us what um a little bit about the book and and why you decided to to write it um as a whole Sure.
2: You know uh the book is um well I'm going to start with why we decided to write this book and I think it's important to note that one of the unique things about this book is how we captured all of this content. Yes, I have a lot of experience and a lot of background, a lot of educational background as well, but um, we have a pretty engaged community that interacts with us online through a Facebook page called Remember for Alzheimer's. And basically what was ha- we have over 200 and 50,000 family caregivers engaged on this page. So what would happen is we would put a question out and ask families, or they would ask each other questions. So they might say, hey, my mom, this happened today, and my mom is doing X, Y, and Z. Does anybody have any tips for me or help? And sure enough, 100, sometimes 50, sometimes 200 people would reply and list different ways different things to try or 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 even just words of encouragement. It was this it's this beautiful community that like kind of like what you said in your intro about this is just a, such a great community of people that always want to come together and help each other and we're proud to be a part of that community. So we're watching this and learning all of these extra tips and information that we're getting from all of these family caregivers online. And what happened was um, I kept thinking, boy, we've got to get this out to the masses. I mean, if you don't have a Facebook account or you're not into social media, you're missing such great information. So we were really trying to figure out how do we take all of this information and get it out to the masses. That was one thing that we were thinking. But the other thing is, is... Um, We know, you know, in the 20 years that we've been in business, the struggles that family caregivers are are going through. And we've seen it with our family caregivers. We've seen it with our professional caregivers. And we just thought it was time to really start to, to try, like this became another mission of ours. We've got to help these families cope with this disease. And so we started to think about a book, you know, obviously came to mind and we're like let's try a book but we also wanted to try it like you said it's a, it's organized a little bit differently so we wanted to try to to be have the book have be have a little bit different spin on it so the way the book is organized is by a little bit by alphabetical order by the different behavioral symptoms that might um, occur not always occur but might occur and that's what we learned from all of our again that Facebook page and all of these family caregivers when they were struggling it was always around those behavioral type of symptoms or those behavioral expressions that were coming out so that was sort of why we picked that angle and why we picked this topic or or the behavioral symptoms as a topic so we ba- we we captured all of the, that information from the online community. We captured some information from other you know, experts in the field. We also tapped into a few um, of our franchise owners that are excellent resources in the community and as well as practitioners that are out in the community that are um, living this every day and, and and helping families every single day with us, holding support groups or working in adult day centers or working in memory programs, so we tapped into that group as well just to help us all kind of formulate all of the content in this book,
1: which I think is is wonderful, and you know you talk about you know behaviors i mean that that is the the thing that kicks everybody, you know, into orbit. You know, yep. <laughs> how, how do I deal with Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I um, I think you do really nicely in is e- explain different alternatives in terms of of how to deal with those, and and really um, also looking for you know what's what's triggering those behaviors yes. because because we we only label them behaviors when we're not happy with the reaction. Otherwise it's just a reaction. And we kinda of go right. along this plane. But you know when it doesn't fit into our box or it doesn't fit into what we're doing, you know, um and then it upsets us. Then then we we label it a behavior and, and now that person is the problem. And a lot of times there's things we can do. Um to to make things make things better and you know some of it is is how we react back
2: um, to it's to what's going on. That's exactly right, Lori. I, I am such a firm believer in that is most of the battle is how the person reacts. What is their body language? What's their voice tone? What are they hurrying around? Do they have a, a facial expression? What I mean there all of those things Completely impact the situation. Yeah, you're exactly you a, right.
1: You have a couple of examples here about apologize and take the blame, and if you don't mind, mm-hmm. I'll just read read a couple of these because sure. um, I they're just I think they're brilliant and they're really simple. But it really is up to us to re reframe ourselves. And so, if yes. Dad becomes frustrated during dinner because he can't chew his food apologize and take the blame, and you, you just give them an idea of saying, I'm sorry that I served you this tough piece of meat, Dad. I should have cooked it better. You know, just so mm-hmm. simple, you know, to take that edge off and that frustration that they're having, or to ease the embarrassment of an accident, blame it on an external factor. Um, you say, for example, Mom, I'm sorry about your accident. Next time I'll buy you pants with fewer buttons. And mm-hmm. you know, how dignified both of those are, you know, instead of blaming and shaming, um, you know, it's just it's a whole different ball of wax and it's a nice way to, to de escalate, you know, what what could really get out of hand. Um because we know how we all feel when we're embarrassed or ashamed and uncomfortable. And so right. um, I, I just think it's great, um, The simple ways um, that you explain, you know, how to how to do it differently. Um, What kind of um, response have you been getting from people with the book, Molly?
2: You know, we've gotten very positive feedback from the book. We've gotten, um, I can tell one story just because it just happened. Uh, a week ago, we were at the American Society on Aging, their conference in San Diego, and we held a panel of family caregivers. There were seven of them on this panel. And it was it was sort of a Q and A session with the audience to ask them, you know, what resources did you need and how are you dealing with everything? And so, kind of that kind of a panel. Well, um, one of the panelists, which um, yes, Home Instead did sponsor it, and and yes, we found the family caregivers, but they aren't family caregivers that are using Home Instead. They're just family caregivers we've known, we've learned, and met through over the years. So they're they're not all using Home Instead as services, but This uh, gentleman, actually, he's uh, caring for his wife, and he said that um, his wife's in the late, late stages now. And this book is really more geared toward that middle stages and uh, maybe even early stages. So he said uh, from the stage, which, again, (laughs) this was brilliant, he said, Boy, when I first got the diagnosis, I wish my doctor would have handed me this book. I wish I would have had something that I could have just had in my back pocket all the time. And as, you know, I'm a I'm a male and I'm I'm caring for my wife and all of these things, a lot of these things she did, and if I would have just had a couple of these in my, you know, these ideas in the back of my mind, I just think my caregiving experience would have been a lot easier. So, that's one a little bit of feedback we just received last week that was that was wonderful but we're we're hearing um from families that it's it's very helpful when it comes to those tips and those care approaches that are in there um we're also starting to i think this is the harder part is is starting to hear from families about what kind of what you were just talking about Lori was um oh, I have to change, oh, I have to be a different person, I'm going to have to, you know, change my approach. That message is getting there, but it's, it's, you know, working with people like you and connecting with all types of people that we still have to work on that message because I think that's one that gets a little bit, it's hard cuz it's it's homework for all of us that we have to do we have to think about it like can i do this can i change can i take the high road and apologize and take the blame even though i had nothing to do with it you know it's and it's sort of not even yes we can all do that but it's constantly remembering to take that approach i mean it's just you've got to constantly be in this mode of Okay, I have to stay calm today. I have to stay you know relaxed. I have to remember that this isn't their fault, and I want to preserve dignity. and that's a lot of stuff to think about when you're being a caregiver. So that message um, we still you know there's some work to do there. the other The other big thing that we've heard about from the book is what you talked about was those triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, families sort of have you know they they've told us, I can't, you know that's so logical. But you don't think of it that way. You don't think of it as, oh, maybe maybe there's just a basic human need that I need to meet, like they're cold or they're hungry or they're in pain or they're scared or they're in a crowded area and, and agitated. So there, it's sort of looking for those cues and understanding when a, one of those triggers might be happening and and. Changing it or helping to fix it or minimize it before it escalates into one of those behavioral expressions that we all we all dread and are all nervous about and don't know how to handle. So that is sort of one of those aha moments for families when they've when we've gotten feedback about the book.
1: You know, one of the things that I'm going to mention because I think this ties in and it it just will plug a tool I have, but it's a free tool on my website. It's called Your Memory Chip, and um, it really gets, you know. You had talked about, oh gosh, I have to change. You know, they can't change. I'm yes. the one that has to change, though. So put another thing on my list to do. Um, but what yes. I found when I met with people was that we are so focused on our list of things to do, and feeling busy makes us feel like we're doing something um, that we we forget about our relationships. And so it was really interesting when I went around and asked people, you know, what do you have to focus on, um, what I found was that people kept rattling off their lists And when I would ask, are you person-centered, they would say, well, of, of course I'm person-centered. This list is all about them. But when I listened to everybody, and everyone did the same thing, including myself, we all had this twang in our voice of, I have to do the medicine, mm-hmm. i got to cook, and i got to do the medical appointments, and I have to communicate with the family. And, and that twang said, I don't want to be doing any of this. And, and that's something that is picked up by the person with dementia. Um, no matter what stage they're in, they still pick up on all of those um, verbal and nonverbals that we use and um, and what I realized for myself was I can't be person-centered if emotionally I'm taking this list and making it about me. And so what I did for myself and now um, others are using this really simple tool to kind of shift that mindset is um, this memory chip which which I would review every time um, before I would Meet with my mom if I was talking with her on the phone or meeting her in person or whatever, but it said, "What do I have to focus on and the three things that I found were best to focus on are are very simple: are they safe? are they happy? are they pain free because if if they're those three things, nothing else is really critical, and i don't have to I don't have to you know fight this battle of they've got the date wrong or the time wrong or you know, I cook that meat just fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with the meat, yes. the teeth, or it's the, their ability to chew. And I really focused on they're safe, they're happy, and they're pain-free. So how do I keep them there? And and it was easier for me to either let go or to shift my mindset to say, I can take the blame. It's not going to hurt me. And it's going to keep them comfortable. And um, it's kind of amazing how simple that is. Um, and I've got bracelets and stuff too that that people can wear, and this works for both staff and for for um, family members. But it's just that little reminder that says, You know what? Um, this is bigger, bigger than you think, And you have a lot more control over this situation, and you can you can keep this person calm and and create a space where they feel safe and happy. But it's up to you because they can't manipulate things like that anymore. So you're, you're, you're the right you
2: That And that is such a great point because what I always say when, when we say things like behaviors and we have to figure out how to manage a behavior, it does make it feel like we have control. And the only mm-hmm. thing that we do have control over is us and our reaction, which, like you just said, can control the situation a little bit. It definitely yeah. impacts the situation, how you are as a person. But I love that tip. And I love this resource that you just spoke about. I think that's fantastic. And I think about it from my family's experience. That was my mom and my aunt. They were the, well, I have to do this. I have to do that. And I know my grandmother could sense that. And And she looked at them differently and she complained mm-hmm. to them more. And it was so interesting, this was, you know, years ago. And But to me, I was never that person. I was always the, oh, let's talk about, tell me about the time when you met Grandpa. And we would try to have that conversation. And then it would be, um, oh, let me get you some water, too. It was, I was just more of a, my first, my first, you know, reaction or or gut feeling was to talk to her about her life. And then it was, oh, then I might have to do some caregiving stuff, you know. Mhm. So it's interesting how we all kind of get in that mode of that to-do list and then it all of a sudden is about you the caregiver and not about them and I mean that that is a really good resource, Lori. Thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah, it's it's very simple and it was just it it really it I, I couldn't believe how
2: how easy it made it for me
1: to shift my mindset. And I've got one uh one doctor here in the Twin Cities, and he kind of jokes. He's like, "Lori, uh, you know, you're going to be the Mother Teresa of Alzheimer's disease if you just teach people those three words." He said, because families come in and they're like deer in a headlight, and they know exactly what you mean and what a difference it can make. And and yes. they said it's simple. It's just simple. And um, you know, it's it's yeah, it's a, it's an interesting concept, but it's it's all about you know that that falseness of control that society yes. pushes out there and i mean i was the queen of checklists and you know checking those things off made me feel good it made me feel like i was doing something but all i was doing was completing a task i wasn't in i wasn't really enriching the relationship to the level which i could and and you know when we enrich those relationships it doesn't just benefit the other person it benefits us, um, in amazing ways. Yes. And and it's yes. stuff that you know the lessons that are wrapped in this disease, um, we can use these throughout our life. You know, it's not just for a person with dementia or someone who's caring for them. These are these are big, powerful life lessons of how to be compassionate yes. and kind and respectful. Um and so, you know, it's it's just um uh, it's a great thing. I wanted to to um, mention a couple other things in your book here. Um, sure. I, I thought these were great, and again, you, I, I think it's brilliant that you took some of these reactions or behaviors, and um, one of them is um, you've got in here agitation and anxiety, and you had noted, you know, why this happens and some care approaches um, in this and. Um, and then you talk about starting the conversation as well. And so can you kind of talk a little bit about agitation and anxiety and and, um, and why does it happen and what are some approaches that you could share with our audience?
2: Yes, well, um, you know, agitation and anxiety... Uh, it it is pretty common and I, I do think this is one of those more common ones because with Alzheimer's disease you know we we obviously don't know what's actually happening in the brain but we know that that it's failing and so we don't know what the person is thinking or feeling or experiencing we don't know which part of the story they're not understanding we don't know which part of the task they're doing that they've forgotten to do so I think agitation is something that can be, uh, and anxiety can be a little bit um, common when it comes to the disease. And what we always talk about um, at Home Instead and what we're trying to do, and we talked about it in the book as well, is really knowing the person and understanding sort of their life story and understanding their routines and preferences. It's actually, you know, probably the most important thing that you've got to understand because when somebody is agitated or we first of all, we have to figure out why, why this is happening, which goes back to that whole trigger concept. But even um, understanding, you know, why, why a person, you know, if you know that their situation or you know that they don't like large crowds or they get agitated when there's loud noises, that's really going to help you a avoid those situations and B, if you are, if that happens, you know how to handle it. So agitation is just one of those things that um, we all have to sort of you know be aware of and be that it you know understand that it could happen and so some of the um, when, when we when we put the care approaches in the book we really did it based on lots of different scenarios because again you've got to know the person and know that to find the solution which will help that person so if the noise is is a factor you know, maybe you try to, I always use the one if you're at the, um, like at a grocery store and it's the busiest time of the day and it's loud and people are talking and they're, you know, there's carts everywhere and people moving around. That's a lot of activity. It's could be noisy. It's crowded. That's just one of those situations where you may not pre-think about of being an issue with somebody that has Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, avoiding those busy times in the store might be a care approach or, or you know, going first thing in the morning or later in the evening or, you know, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday when the store might not be crowded, stuff like that. The other thing when we talk about anxiety, um, some people, sometimes it's around maybe there's clutter or maybe there's something in the environment that's causing the agitation. Um, Maybe it's just simply during a routine that somebody doesn't understand and can't remember if it's if it's with bathing or showering or or grooming in the morning so some approaches you know step back and really you know talk talk everybody talk the person through the task go step by step keeping the explanations very simple um the other thing is sometimes is again by knowing your person's story if mom is anxious and you really don't understand why but you know what calms her down? Maybe you call uh, her favorite grandchild on the phone and they have a conversation. Maybe that would calm mom down, or maybe it's um, you. St- you can't understand why, but you know she loves to crochet or knit or one of those things. So you suggest, you know what, mom? Let's try crocheting today. So the care approaches are all they—they're all very um, different scenarios in the book, but they can be personalized when you actually understand and know the person's story. So we tried to put as many in there as possible so that people would just get the idea of different ideas to try and then fill in, you know, X, Y, and Z, the specific activity. Then when we get to the conversation piece, again, we, we've we made a big point in the book about how important it is your body language, your tone, your actions, your verbal and the way you speak really impacts the situation. So. And I know a lot of times we we hear about how how important communication is with somebody that has Alzheimer's or dementia, but what we wanted to do was actually put in how to even start the conversation or what might be a sentence you'd use or a sentence or two to use. Um, so, for example, if somebody is um, talks about the wrong president is one of the conversation starters we have. And says, you know, President Eisenhower is just a fantastic president. Well, instead of saying, no, 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 that's not the president right now. He was the president years ago. Now it's Barack Obama. It's, wow, President Eisenhower was a great man. What did you like best about him? It's, so it's just going with the situation instead of pausing, correcting, because it's, it's all about being in their moment and where they're at. It's, again, about finding joy and making them comfortable and, like you said, safe and happy
0: and pain-free
2: for the day. So it's not going to hurt the person to know that they got the wrong president. It's just not necessary to to correct that. So even by putting the first couple of sentences of a family on how to have that conversation, we felt that was so important so that they could really even start role-playing that, start practicing it, because we can say to blue in the face, it, your, your, the way you talk is important, but this actually gives the lead in to how you might have the conversation.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think you know I love that you bring up the nonverbals because you know that's like seventy five percent of our communication, but we just think absolutely well, if it's not rolling off the lips, it doesn't exist yet. We react to everything else, and and so does a person with dementia, and. You know, I'm going to say, um, most of my audience knows that my mother, you know, just passed away, but she was in her end stages for four years. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even when she was actively dying, she was still reacting to everything happening around her. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just had to look for different, different um, reactions from her because she couldn't speak. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we are respectful. So many conversations, people talk like somebody's not even there and how horrible yes. would that be i mean it, it, you know how upset we get when someone you know pretends like we're not there we're not getting enough attention and this stuff happens all the time with people with dementia and it and it happens um it, it happens with loved ones it happens um anywhere you know with yep. with anybody at any time because it's just such a common phenomenon you know, with this this disease, you know, as a whole. I would like to just throw out if there are any listeners that want to um, pose a question, you know, feel free to call in. We'd love to take your call, or um, you can always use the chat box as well. Sometimes we get interactions. Sometimes people are just fascinated at listening, and so that, that, um, you know, can work either way there. Um, I also wanted to say, you know, you talked about starting the conversation, which I thought was just a a brilliant um, uh, segment as well and things that people really struggle with. Can you talk a little bit about wandering? Because you've got a chapter on wandering as well, and that's such a massive issue for so many people.
2: Yes. So um, in the book, I... um, Every chapter starts with a family caregiver telling their story, and telling a, uh, a specific story about the behavior, behavioral expression that or symptom that we talk about. So I just this the story that starts the wandering chapter is probably it's it's a scary story, but it's it's really it turns out pretty good in the end. But basically, just to sum it up, it's a a wife whose husband started to wander. And he started to wander to the same place and the fire station was a few houses down. So she took a picture of him to the firefighters and they knew the situation and they would, have him, they would invite him to the break room to have some coffee while they called her. And the reason the story is funny is that um, one time he tried to go out in her blouse and her cropped pants. And he got down the street and turned around and um, she was, the wife was laughing so hard and that he was so proud that he could at least still make her laugh and he came back and changed clothes or whatever. So there is some humor in the book and some, some enlightening stories as well. But basically what this caregiver did was the right move is, um, you know, understood that this could happen, understood where he was going to usually wander to and that was the firehouse Um Another thing that this family member did was to sew some identification into his collar behind his neck, like in, a, in his shirts, so that um, if he did was lost or, or did not wander the fire station that day, somebody would be able to notify her of the situation. A lot of times people put ID bracelets on or register for the Safe Return Program. There's some things there, but I think... Um, The important thing about wandering is, number one, to understand, again, why it's occurring. So to talk through, is it, um, it could be things like, you know, dad used to exercise every day. He Maybe used to walk the dog every morning, but now he has Alzheimer's, so we're scared and we don't want him to go outside anymore. Well, he still needs that physical activity every day. So we've got to find a way to help him get that. If we have to come over every day, or hire a, a professional caregiver to come over every day and help him go out for a walk, just so he can get that that um, his normal routine down and get that physical activity. So again, it's it's always important to understand why the wanderings occurring. I think um, the environment has a big um, a big impact on wandering. You know, clutter, um, clear pathways, things like that is, is another thing to think about. Um, we always had uh one of my experiences as a caregiver in a in a memory unit was we had a woman who every day at uh four o'clock maybe three thirty she would get very agitated and just start pacing and wandering the halls and kind of crying and and you know asking for her husband and you know Tris and you know. Would not sit down. Would not sit down. Kept wandering. Kept walking. And, and obviously, this was a safe place, so she wasn't wandering away or anything. But she just—we could not ever get her calmed down. And what we turns out, after a few weeks, um, and and really getting to know Miss Teresa, we understood that she was a brilliant housewife. She cooked wonderful meals every night for her family, and her husband came home from work every day at five o'clock. So he owned a paint store so he was very regular on his schedule and at four o'clock every day the reason she started look getting up and wandering around was it was time to cook dinner. And mm-hmm. she wanted to she was looking for the kitchen and she was mm-hmm. looking for the stove and where can I go start this meal? So again by knowing understanding that about Ms. Teresa, what we would do is help her have her help us get the meal ready for all the residents in the building. So she would help set the table, she would put the napkins on the table she would fill the water glasses so it was just a matter of sometimes wandering again they're trying to tell us something but they're showing us by by pacing and wandering so to speak
1: mhm which which makes a lot of sense um and yes. it, you know it's just so important to to realize that there's it's something deeper and you know it's kind of like when when someone says they want to go home what does home mean you know right. um people always think of their current home but sometimes they're back in time and um things things have a different a different meaning and um you know it's up to us to really be that detective and and figure figure things yes. out the other thing that i really liked with the book is you know you've got resources and stuff in the end but you also have kind of a journaling um, area where people can put the date and you know yes. what happened today was it caused by an emotional social physical or environmental factor and just pointing those things out you know you got to look bigger guys come on you know, look at the whole picture yes you know as yes. to what's going on yes. so like you said yes. um you know is it too bright is it too loud are there too many people um is it cold is it hot um you know there's just it, a zillion things. Did they burn their mouth on something that was too hot for food or maybe it was too cold um, that caused a reaction? Um, You know, we really have to look at at big, big picture. And then how can this be prevented tomorrow? You know, that is the thing that that we really have to think about, is what can we change um, to, again, you know, keep them safe, happy, and comfortable? And a lot of times these things aren't difficult once we once we figure 'em out because once we yes. remove that behavior we don't like, you know, even though we don't like changing our routines, it's well worth it. It's well worth right. it to keep the calm and Absolutely. keep the happy. You know, for for Absolutely. everybody in there. Um and then you also have some resources and stuff listed in here, um which is mm-hmm. which is wonderful. I, I think, you know, there's
2: never enough resources <laughs>
1: for for people on this.
2: Absolutely. So, absolutely and i think um when we talk about the journal section i think people sometimes can get overwhelmed by journal and i've got to write all this mm-hmm. stuff down but it's exactly what you said lori it's just it's just what happened today in a sentence or two and what what were the cues were there any triggers you know was there was there anything that happened that um i need to remember and be aware of today it's because it's also helpful when you're going to the doctor's appointments Mm-hmm. or it 's helpful when you have multiple caregivers involved, and it's mm-hmm. just it 's just one of those things to sort of get in the habit of every day of sort of writing down what happened was there a good moment, a bad moment and I think um you know it's just again it doesn 't have to be this overwhelming process and i and I think that 's when sometimes can people can pause and look back about the day and think. Was there something I could have done differently? You know, we do put prevention strategies in each chapter as well. And um, so there's some of that already baked in here and built in here, but it's also um, when you're going back and reviewing the day and what happened and writing it down, you might come up with another idea of, oh, you know what? If I would have tried this, I bet that would have worked, or if I would have thought about this. So it's really just to sort of get people in the habit of thinking about um Keeping a journal and, and understanding the importance of it.
1: Exactly, and you know, like you said, it doesn't have to be big, fancy, and complicated. No. <laughs> you know, No. It really, no. It, no. It really doesn't. Um, you know, no. simple. The more simple, the better. Um, I think, especially when we're right. dealing with with dementia. Um, you know, for all of us there. No, um, I, I um, was wondering. Now, did you guys go to the um, Homestead? Senior care go to the American Society on Aging conference in San Diego, or is that coming up?
2: We it was last week.
1: Okay, yeah. that's what I was thinking that it was la- that, that it was last week. Yep. And now, did you present at that too? And
2: yes, I presented on confidence to care. We did a a, a session on the book, but the big session we did was that family caregiver panel, and okay. we had those seven family caregivers and. Um, really to talk about their experiences and their struggle and you know it's it's funny you just said something about resources because we there's never enough that is the message we heard loud and clear from this group of family mm-hmm. caregivers and they were all different there was a young um, wife who's caring for her her spouse her husband there was the older gentleman who whose wife was in the end stages there was a daughter who lived long distance I mean so it was a kind of an a variety of people on the panel and that's exactly it one of the things they said was um, the doctor never did not give them enough support one one of the seven panelists said that their doctor recommended the Alzheimer's Association the others said basically said, you have to find a support group. And that was about it. One, the the gal with the, the husband who has younger onset, um, they said, well, maybe you should try a support group with traumatic brain injuries. So you're exactly right. When we talk about resources, uh, these families felt like in the beginning, they had nothing and they had to dig and Google and find everything that they have found to help them. And mm-hmm. so they really talked about helping families understand the resources and we've got to figure a way to make it easier um for these families but the other interesting thing that they said was um they didn't react soon enough Mm
0: -hmm. so
2: the they get the diagnosis and you just sort of like oh okay i'll deal with this now but when they when they were talking about they didn't react soon enough it was more of i didn't um they sort of let things happen and let things come up instead Mm -hmm. of being proactive in this disease and understanding, you know, the legal ramifications financially, you know, am I going to need caregivers in the future? What does this look like for my life? And so I thought that was a really good message that I'm glad you asked about so we could share with listeners today is um, really helping families be a little bit proactive when this diagnosis does um, hit your family.
1: Yeah, I know, you know, for me, um, that's why I started Alzheimer's Speaks because I didn't feel Mm -hmm. that there were resources um, that were shared and common. And so, one of the things, um, and I don't even know if you're aware of this, that I have on the website is I developed a resource directory, which is a collaborative directory because the one thing I didn't want was to be the one saying what the next guy needs. Because I think we're all coming from different places. And so yes. a- anybody can actually input information. So they can share a book, a video, a website. Oh, great. Um, on on um, Alzheimer's Speaks, there's a button at the top that says share that you care. And you have to become a member. And once you become a member, um, then you can go ahead and, and put in this information. And companies can be listed and, um, you know, authors, um, speakers, Coaches, um, you know, trainers, because there's not a place to find those. Um, and, and I was fascinated, you know, when you go to a speakers bureau, it's, it's, well, is it medical? You know, is it, is it stress? Is it women related? <laughs> Family? And yeah. you know, we really do need a dementia specific. And so we're just in the process of building that kind of going on word of mouth but it's but it's all there. We can add new tabs and stuff too if we need right. more, but there's quite a bit um for people to um to be able to to find and again to share their knowledge with i them. will
2: i will thank you. I will definitely pass that on to those seven and and any other family caregivers we know, and even on our Facebook page about these resources and that please go and share your own personal resources i think that's a brilliant idea because um you're right we don't know what like this this young person this this 38 year old on our panel she um when she got the diagnosis she's like oh that's for seniors i'm mm-hmm. young and so yep. she's like, I don't need their resources. I need something different, which was probably true in in some cases, but not all. And she quickly realized, Oh no, all the resources are for me too. So, yeah, you're right. It, depending on where the person is and what they need and their support system, can vary. Yep. So that's that's really good.
1: Well, and knowing that we can share information around the world and make a difference. You know, it doesn't have to be in our backyard all the time. I mean, certain things do, right. but a lot, but a lot doesn't. So. Even if someone has a blog or a newsletter, um, or just an article that they want to share, they can go ahead and submit that. And you know, if they if they don't have a URL, if it was just an article that they wrote, or maybe some people write poems and stuff, then I have them send them mm-hmm. to me. I put them in a PDF format, and then I'll I put them in another portion on the website um, where they Great. can be where they can be listed and stuff. Because I just I think it takes all of us, you know, it it it's okay to hear other people's opinions. We might not agree with, you know, someone who believes in coconut oil or aromatherapy. Um okay. and somebody might just be a real medical model and that's okay. That's okay. But but yeah. for others it works and, and they're happy with it and that's all that matters. And so it's not about it's not about judging. Um, it's about just absolutely raising the voice of all there now you guys um you know do a lot with focusing on caregiver stress and and how that can be prevented um and now, do you do some workshops on that as well?
2: You know we do a we have lots of different workshops um and what we do is uh our franchise network. Our franchise owners are, we're in every state, we're all over the world. And what they do is they host those workshops for free in their communities. So there's, there's so many topics, um, there's lots on stress, there's lots on Alzheimer's, there's stuff on safety. I mean, there's all kinds of different topics. And what those, what our franchise offices do is uh, those are free to anybody. They're not just to, again, the people that we mm-hmm. um, serve. It's to anybody in the whole community. So we do a lot of um, information. But a lot of the workshops are also online on caregiverstress.com. So mm-hmm. there is a website that has some online versions. They're shortened versions, of course. But so just some basic, um, there's quite a few workshops up there on a variety of topics. That, um, that can, the, the Alzheimer's specific workshops are on caregiver stress, but they're also on helpforalzheimersfamilies.com. Okay. So we we have a site that's dedicated just to helping people that have Alzheimer's and and dementia diagnoses. But um, that caregiver stress really it's it's pretty much for any family caregiver, any caregiver, even our professional caregivers that are um, need extra support and help. Yep,
1: which is, and I think sometimes you know we get so. Um, I know when I do speaking and training, you know, people go, "Who's your target market?" You know, is it the is it the caregivers? Is it the person with dementia? Is it the staff? And and I'm a real big advocate of let's all get in the same room and talk the same language because yep. we're all going through the yep. same stuff, and and we're all impacting one another. So, um, you know, I yep. think that's really the only way we're going to really push forward with this disease is to, is to have these open conversations where it's, you know, maintenance to administration and, and family and public um, alike joining in and, um, you know, asking questions and giving opinions and things. So, well, Molly, this has just been a fascinating hour. I, I just really give kudos to Home and Dad for all that you do. Um, how do people get the book? um itself i know it's not, i believe it's on amazon
2: um it's on amazon and it's uh confidence to care dot com there is a, a separate url if you want to go order it from there um the other great thing about it is there is an app that goes with the book that's free and it's in the app store it's on the ios and the droid network and basically um all of the care approaches and the prevention stuff, all of that information is accessible in the app. So it's a companion to the book. It doesn't have every word, but it's very, mm-hmm. very close. So it's – it's and it's set up to you can search by topic or you can type in a scenario or type in um, a situation and then resources pop up. And that the app also has a feature that lets people um, add content. So if somebody – has a great tip and they want to share it, they're absolutely able to type in a tip or a care approach or whatever they have into the app as well to share with other family caregivers.
1: Wonderful. Well, great. Um, and we have those links on the on both the the um, blog talk radio page, and um, I also put okay. it on the the our WordPress for uh, blog for for Alzheimer Speaks as well on that. And um, like I said, I would really encourage people to pick up this book, Confidence to Care. Um, it's a resource for family caregivers providing Alzheimer's disease or other dementia care at home. And I think you'll you will you'll find this to be a, a little Bible for you, um, one that will bring you a lot of comfort and give you a lot of simple guidance that will make sense, it's not complicated, and, and I don't think it will overwhelm you. Um, the other thing that I really liked what Molly you had mentioned in the very beginning was that, you know, this is a resource book and there's a lot in here, but not everything may happen to you. Where, um, you know, like right. with the a thirty-six hour day. People read that book and go, oh my gosh, everything's going to happen. So I think just the way that you phrased yes. it, um, it just gives a you know a lot of um, comfort in that um, that this is a very um, you know, individual disease and um, you know, it twists and it turns because not only is every person with dementia um, you know, different and gonna react different, so is every care partner and so is every environment. And we always have to keep absolutely. that in mind. With all we do absolutely well, I wish you the the best of luck with this and um I will love helping you uh, promote this because I, I really do believe uh it's a wonderful book and, and will help
2: a lot of people there. So thank you. Thank you, so you Lori. Yeah. And yeah, thank you and thanks for all the work you're doing and all the resources you've given. I've learned so much from you today too. So I just thank you for being in this fight with us and we're all in this together and we're gonna um we're gonna change it. We're gonna change the world by all the I work that so. we're doing. So thank you. I think so yep. too. Yep. I, I firmly well, believe it. So
1: Well and you're already seeing, I think, just even in the last three to four years, um, a big shift and you know the the power of the people is is kind of coming up front people are starting to have the conversations and um it's it's very fascinating very fascinating to Absolutely. watch and, and be part of so again thank you so much and i'm sure we'll be in touch in the future okay
2: thank you lori take care thanks
1: yep bye 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 um Before I introduce our next guest, um, again, I just want to highlight a couple of different organizations, again, uh, that I think uh, are just wonderful, wonderful resources. Again, Alzheimer's Disease International, if you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, um, they would be the place to go. Uh, for some holistic approaches, Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation has some great information. If you're dealing with Lewy body dementia, they do have their own association, as well as the Frontal Temporal Lobe um, Association and the National Aphasia Association. If you're looking for a clinical trial, um, check out alzheimersstudies.com. Uh, they're in their third uh, TAU trial. So they're pretty far along with, with that, um, which is great. And then for some recreational um, assistance, you can go to Music First with Choral Health or Puzzle With Me and uh, Jiminy Wicket. I also just want to give a plug for my web designer, uh, Custom A Design. I, <laughs> I couldn't do what I do without those guys. Um, next, we have up uh, another fascinating um, individual. Paul Hornbeck was born in Fort Knox, Kentucky, and he spent his childhood living around the world um, in multiple Army bases in the United States and Europe because his, his father was a career Army staff. Um, Paul himself kind of followed those footsteps, and he went into the Marine Corps and um, ended up retiring at the rank of a captain. And he, he also worked as an engineer for uh, General Electric and other state and private industries. And he spent about 16 years um, as an engineer and um, an operations research systems analyst for the Department of, of the Army at Fort Knox in Kentucky, where he um, you know, worked on, on improving uh, weapons si- systems. But he he had to retire early um, due to being diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 55. And he, you know, when he did this, he received numerous awards and medals and honors for all of his distinguished service that he had put in. But after his diagnosis and early retirement, he decided to publish his first book called God Still Remembers Me. And um, in September of 2013, so this is fairly recent, um, his book of collection of daily devotions for Alzheimer's patients and caregivers um, hit the streets. And uh, what Paul did was he, he wrote the book of devotions from the viewpoint of someone living with early onset Alzheimer's. He's also currently writing another book that will depict his struggles, his joys, and coping skills for living with um, EOAD, as they call it. And he hopes to publish um, that book probably in about 2015. He's also working on another devotional um, book centered on Abraham Lincoln's faith and life, which I think will also be interesting. Paul writes a devotional blog for Alzheimer's and dementia patients called faithfullyfoggyliving.com. That's faithfullyfoggyliving. Paul has now been living with Alzheimer's disease for over uh, four years. Um, He was diagnosed in the fall of 2009 when he was in the height of his career um, for the Army, and he struggled with the disease and the diagnosis for about nine months before he he took early retirement. From his career, because he was having problems with writing and solving complex math problems, decision making, and remembering what he had written, said, or done. Um, soon after this diagnosis, um, Paul feels God kindled him with a deep desire um, to to do something for people who were struggling with the disease and so that's when he started writing his devotions in December of 2009 and he wrote one every day um and um until he was finished with his book and um you know this this book is just i think just a wonderful wonderful joy and i think he's going to have a great story here to share share with us um paul also does um some speaking, and he um, has spoken at churches and clubs, assisted livings, and he's even made a a video with the University of Kentucky's uh, Sanders-Brown Center on Aging. So very much an advocate um, through, through this journey. So welcome, Paul. How are you today?
3: I'm doing just fine, Lori. Thank you.
1: Well good. Well, I am I am thrilled to have you here and I want to thank you for for sending me a copy of your book because I you know, a the cover is just absolutely gorgeous. How did you come up with your cover design?
3: Well, um I talked with my wife about it and uh we wanted to come up with something that was a little unique and I had played with some ideas and my publisher uh Cross Books I kind of told them what I wanted, and um, they kind of directed me to some um, websites that they had that had some possible um, art that would kind of meet what I wanted. And I found this one, which, of course, I chose for the cover of this guy with his hand with a, a string wrapped around it, and I said, that's exactly what I want. So that's kind of how I found it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's beautiful because, you know, it you know, time that that uh, string around your finger to remember is just I think so poignant. Um, you know, when it comes to memory loss, can you explain to our audience in a little bit more detail um some of your earlier symptoms and and how that affected you?
3: Well, uh it really started back in about 2007 i um i had what was called a tia um, mm-hmm. can't even pronounce what that means but i think most people know and mm-hmm. um after that happened um i started to see a neurologist uh who was kind of tracking my progress and making sure that i didn't have any more tias and uh while i was working as an analyst i started to notice about six months after that, that I was starting to have some trouble with things.
0: Mm -hmm. And one of
3: the big things was I couldn't remember people's names, especially people that I had met, and I've always been able to do that. Um, And it became a real problem kind of at church because as new people started coming into the church, I just couldn't remember their names. And I just kind of thought that was just a symptom of maybe getting older. Um, but when it happened at work, um, it really kind of alarmed me. So I, I kind of jotted that down. And then I think one of the strangest things that happened to me, I was, I got a call um, from a colonel on, on a problem that they had up at the Pentagon, um, and he asked me if I could solve this problem for him. And normally I could just do it over the phone, and it mm-hmm. dealt... It kind of dealt with the flight time of a missile, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: so I couldn't remember the formula. And I said, hey, I'm going to have to call you back. And he goes, I'm in a meeting. Call me back in an hour. So I pulled up the form, the formula, and I couldn't solve the problem. And I had done this time and time again. I mean, it was just like secondhand to me, and I just could not work the problem. I had to get help, you know, to kind mm-hmm. of solve it. Um, and so I knew something was wrong, and then I was having trouble um, remembering things that I had written. I, I did a lot of technical writing and a lot of analysis on uh, on combat situations uh, for the armor fleet. And I would write stuff, and then I would forget that I wrote it, and people would kind of remind me, yeah, you know, you kind of wrote that, why don't you go look it up? And I guess they attributed it to maybe just getting a little older. Well, finally, on one of my visits to the neurologist, you know, I told them I got to talk to you about some things that are going on. And so, when I told them all these things, we kind of started down the track of a lot of testing.
0: It was mm-hmm. eighteen
3: months worth of testing before we finally came up with a diagnosis. Um, that was that was difficult because I just thought, you know, maybe it was from the result of of the TIA and maybe I was just having more. Um, Mm -hmm. But one of the big things that happened, um, because I worked with classified data um, and it was the most alarming thing, I began to not be able to remember what was classified and what wasn't. And uh, normally you can kind of compartmentalize that in your brain, but I was having trouble doing that, and that's when um, I finally decided that you know I had to do something i I had to figure out what was going on um and and of course the my neurologist was great i mean he was he was relentless. I mean he went down every rabbit hole we possibly could to try to figure out what um what the problem was. We went to the Mayo Clinic. Uh, I went to the Cleveland Clinic at his suggestion, um, went through testing with them, and, of course, they sent all the reports to my doctor. And finally, after about 18 months, in the fall of 2009, he sat down and he said, uh, you know, Paul, this is what you've got.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So that was um, that was kind of troubling because I was kind of in the height of my career in... And, and you know ready to to, to kind of move even even further but um and especially at 55 you know you don't think of this happening to somebody um so so young
1: yep and that's
3: you know when he explained it to me he explained that hey it's it's early onset paul and i re- i remember the words you know that he told me he said you know we've caught it early for someone like you in the technical field that you were in, um, you were able to see some of the symptoms a lot earlier than maybe someone that was working on an assembly line. He mm-hmm. said things that are happening in your brain might not even be noticeable to other people, but because of the kind of work you do, it's kind of brought to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he said it's, it's bad news, but it's good news because we've caught it early, and and there's lots of things that we can do.
1: Yeah, how did how did um, you know? You said it was difficult for you. How did your your wife and your family take the news?
3: Well, my wife is right here, and her name is Sarah, and I'm going to let
0: her answer that. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Lori. Um, I I tell everyone I I spent about a year crying a little bit every day. Uh, it was just believable, not the uh, future that we had envisioned. Um, and seemed just so unfair. My husband is such a good man, so righteous, so active in the church, just such a, an inspiration. Uh, it just seemed like, you know, how how could a good, loving God do that? And so God and I had a, had a lot of conversations kind of grappling with, uh, you know, uh, rain falls on the just and the unjust. So uh, we after After a certain period of time, started looking at clinical trials and being an advocate uh, for those suffering with the disease, and that kind of moved us out of the victim stage into warriors. And that has really made a difference in how we react. And our children uh, have have just kind of, you know, after the initial devastating diagnosis and finding out, of course, that your beloved father, has this terrible uh, illness, uh, have absolutely been super supportive. Uh, they they are just always looking for um, articles and information. They call frequently. None of them, of course, live very close, but they call frequently and, and are very interested in our care plan and how they can help. So it, it's it's a wonderful supportive family. And then our community and church family have also just been marvelous.
1: Oh, that's wonderful! I, I love the phrase, you know, from victim, you know, to warrior, and um, because I think there is that shift, you know, once you feel like you can make a difference and be part of the change, it really, I, for me, anyways, on my personal journey with my mom, with thirty years, it it lessened the burden, and it it just it just changed the whole perspective of how I i didn't look at it as a burden. I didn't look at it as a bad lot in life. I, I looked at it as an opportunity um, to really help shift our dementia care culture and an honor to be part of that because its it's so badly needed. And it's such a critical, critical time right now. And, and so it, it's a hard place sometimes for people to get to, um, but I see it all the time, especially with people who are diagnosed that once they feel that they can help the next guy, um, it it's not all for naught, you know. And um and God does have a purpose, you know, or whoever you believe in. Um, you know, there is a greater purpose than us as individuals. And um and we all can have an impact on others, and we all do. And we have a choice in how how we're going to utilize that. And you know, I think it's beautiful in terms of how how you and Paul have have worked at this now, and Paul writing this book. Um, I, I think it'll help a lot of a lot of people um, find comfort and and peace in that. So I, I thank you for for sharing your your viewpoints with us on that. Um I'm wondering if I can ask um if I can get Paul back on the line again. And um I wanted to just ask you Paul, you know, what are some things that have helped you in your battle, you know, with with early onset Alzheimer's disease.
3: Well, you know, there there's there's quite a bit, Lori, I think. First and foremost is my faith. I mean, I can't imagine even beginning to go through this without um, having God kind of uh, on my side and, and and guiding me along the way. So, so faith is is basically the, the first thing that's really helped me. And and like Sarah said, um, next is my family. I mean, without my family, um, I just don't think that I could. Be as positive and as um, proactive as I've been. I mean, they're they are so encouraging to me, and they uh, um, they they're just a source of inspiration that kind of keeps me going. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one of one of the most important things that helped me was that early diagnosis, um, because you know when you have this disease, what you're fighting is time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, time. It, is not a friend when, when you've got this disease. So the earlier you get a diagnosis, then that means the earlier you can get on medication. Um, and and being on the medication helped me. You know, I, I don't know if it helps everybody else, but I'm on Exelon and Namenda, and uh, when I forget to take the medication, I suffer the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, the medication has just been a godsend for me. And and Sarah kind of alluded to it, but being part of a clinical trial is one of the things that kind of turned things around for me because I said, you know, I'm not going to let this disease um, kind of ruin my life. I'm going to do something in the fight. And so after the doctor, my neurologist, had told me, you know, that I had the disease, on my next visit, we talked about clinical trials. And uh, I got on, you know, the website, um, the Alzheimer's website, and, and I found a clinical trial at the University of Kentucky at the Sanders Brown Center, and it was um, IGIV, and it was an 18-month trial. And by participating in that trial... It was a turning point for me. You know, it it just meant that, you know, I'm a fighter. As a Marine pilot, you know, things go wrong in the air a lot of times. And you can't just throw your hands up and say, well, the heck with it. I'm just going to crash the aircraft. Mm -hmm. Um, What you do is is you start fighting and, and you start doing everything you can. It's kind of called emergency procedures to handle whatever emergency happened. And so this clinical trial... Was just that it was it was a procedure that I could use to fight my situation.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: although the the drug that I was on for for that eighteen month trial did not show significant results across the population of folks with the disease, my doctor thought that it really helped me because I was in the early stages. So, so that was really good for me. Yeah. Um, Uh, another thing and and I started this early on even though I didn't need it was I stick pretty much to a daily routine and that daily routine I follow kind of like a checklist that I used to have when I was flying I do everything on that list every day and um, I kind of it kind of gives me comfort to kind of follow that list even on the days when what I call my not-so-good days, my foggy days,
1: mm-hmm. By
3: following that that checklist, that, that daily schedule. Um, I can make it through those days. And then, of course, writing has just been my way of coping. Um, I write every day. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any difference. If I don't feel good, I still write. I may not write but a sentence, but I write every day. Um, I do this... Uh, devotional blog it's on faithfulfoggyliving.com and um and and so it 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 gives me an outlet to kind of write and and i've been going through the Psalms and that's what i base it on and god and i have some pretty tough talks during the day as i write that but um that has been an inspiration to me to be able to write and of course you mentioned some of the other books that i'm working on so mm-hmm. That's kind of my coping strategy, and that's what helps me.
1: Well, and I think it's great that you have, you know, a lot of times people will just pick one, you know, and and you haven't. You, you, you've got a nice variety um, for you, and I think the routines are so, so important. Um, you know, to make things uh make life a little bit a little bit simpler and stuff. Now, do you do anything as far as um diet and all? Did you change diet or
3: Yeah, I I follow I guess what they call the best practices and so I I pretty much as best I can stay on a Mediterranean diet and my wife is really good about that. Um she uh she prepares majority of the meals and so she does a lot of soups and a lot of um, meals that are um, focused around uh, fruit and vegetables and uh, we eat a lot of fish um, and um, lean meat so I, I try to follow that. Now i when she's not around, sometimes I fall off that. I
1: know, but, <laughs> but she
3: watches well, me like.
1: Well, that's good. That's good. I, I wish I had someone that watched me because I am probably off the wagon more than I'm on the wagon when it comes to eating, right? <laughs> so, um, well, I think, like I said, I think that's great. Can you tell us a little bit of why you decided to to write the book? God still remembers me.
3: Well, um, I have always loved devotionals. Um, I've used them throughout my life, just to be able to sit down for just a few minutes each day and kind of focus in. And after I got diagnosed, um, I think God just kind of put that on my heart to to, to write something. And, and I started writing these devotionals um, just using some of my favorite passages. Mm-hmm. And um, and and the book kind of morphed after that. But but one of the things when I started looking after I got my diagnosis, I couldn't find a devotional written by somebody that had Alzheimer's. There were mm-hmm. lots of devotionals out there written by caregivers and by other family members, um, but I couldn't find one written by Alzheimer's. And I an Alzheimer's patient, and I wanted something that was written from the perspective of somebody going through it. Mm -hmm. And that's when God kind of put it on my heart. Well, you can't find it, so what are you going to do about it? And so I started writing it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted something a little more encouraging. I've read tons of of books by people who had Alzheimer's. And I, I know they were being truthful, but there wasn't very much encouragement, you know, um, for someone that's diagnosed early and that has EOAD, there's still a lot of living left. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to write something that was encouraging for people. Um, and <laughs> something that I could use later on. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and I do, I mean, I, I still read the devotionals because they're kind of new to me. I, I don't, I don't remember what I wrote. I mean, that's the uh-huh. sad thing about the piece, but but that's okay because they're still very encouraging to me.
1: Yep. Well, and that's yeah, and and there's a lot of people that um, have devotionals and and they go back and they read them anyways, you know, because they're just good. Um, they just um, put things in in perspective. Um, you know you've got a couple in here that you know I'm just looking at just to kind of give people some ideas you've got Wednesday go with the flow and um, Thursday you talk about communication in the new normal and you know you have your your scripture and then you talk you know a little bit about each of these and you know listening to the new normal um, staying active in the new normal. Um, you know i i just i love all your little your um your titles with all of these um you know just being still um or being busy at home um this has been my practice um the watchman waits um they're just they're just great great um titles with all of these with with each and every one of them, and um you know it's really a nice easy read and you know, with a book like this, uh, somebody doesn't have to read it page for page. You know, they can pick and choose um, you know, throughout it too, which is which is also nice. Um or get their favorite, you know, when they're having a tough time and you know, an ear take it <laughs> so you can find it find it simply. Um, you know, when you need it and share and that's kind it. That's kinda
3: how I I envisioned arranging the book after After I'd written about a hundred devotionals, I realized I didn't really have um, a a set of themes for for them. And so after I'd written about a hundred, I sat down and I said, well, why don't I put a theme for every week? And the themes have to be of interest to someone that has Alzheimer's, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the struggles that you have. So I started just sit down and write out all the themes I could think of based on a lot of the books that I had written. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I came up with like 30 themes, and I laid those out, and then I started taking the devotions that I had written, and I fit them into those categories. And then I went back, and I finished out each of the categories for those 30 weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of set it aside, and I started... uh, thinking of more themes, and I wrote those all down, and then I had 52 themes, and then all I had to do was find Scripture and stuff to kind of fill in each theme. But, you know, each theme has some jewel for someone going through Alzheimer's, you know? it, um, it, and, and if you're struggling, you can just open up to the table of contents and you can see, you know, what you're struggling with, and there's a week of devotions on it.
2: So that's mm-hmm. kind of how
3: I structured it um, with that kind of in mind.
1: Okay. Um, now, what kind of response have you gotten from people on the book so far, Paul?
3: Oh, it's been great. Um, it, it's it's very humbling. Um, one of the unique things is I've had people buy the book that, of course, don't have Alzheimer's. And and what they do is whatever their struggle is. Um, I have one person that's that's or couple not one quite a few people that have cancer, and all they do is they take out Alzheimer's and they put in the word cancer mm-hmm. as, as they go through the devotion. I've had people um, that are kind of in my boat that have early onset Alzheimer's disease, and and they have been reading it, and it has just been an encouragement to them. And then I even have people who have a loved one that has Alzheimer's who can no longer read and they read it to them each morning. And they they think that that it is it is helping them, you know, they they respond positively to the to to the words that that they hear, which is just humbling to me. I mean, um so I've all the feedback I've gotten from the book has just been, been marvelous, and uh, uh, I couldn't be happier.
1: Wonderful. Well, I can't. I, I wouldn't have imagined anything different, but I, it's always nice to to ask. And I think it is neat that you know people are looking at it and just, um, like you said, changing a word out because you know our lives really as different as they are are so similar. <laughs> They're so similar. And sometimes we focus on the differences, and when we can really appreciate that at the core we're all the same, and you know we have many of the same same needs, and the same skill sets can can apply. Um, the same things can keep us, you know, give us comfort. And um, you know, I think for me that's one of my big missions in life is to shift, you know, kind of caregiving from crisis to comfort, and get people to. Understand this really is a natural state. It's it's not. It shouldn't be one of panic and and dismay, because it's something that we choose to do day in and day out. It's just at a different level, and and maybe on a different um, kind of subject line, but but it's something that's inherent to to all of us. And so, giving us coping skills is. In um, ways to find strength um, through whatever it is we're dealing with is is a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, now I know that you have also mentioned that you really feel like God had a different plan for you, and so can you can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Well, um, you know, I, I had one of the things is I always thought that I wanted to write a devotional book, and. Uh, I had even kind of toyed with it a little bit while I was working. And I always thought it was going to be a book for men in the outdoors because I love to camp and hike and fish and canoe. And so I had originally, a long time ago, started writing many devotionals for a lot of our camping trips and uh, canoe trips. And so I always thought, you know, that's kind of what I'm going to do after I retire.
0: Mm -hmm. Well,
3: I kind of think God had something else in store. And, uh, you know, I I don't believe that God gave me Alzheimer's disease. I I don't think that way. I think things happen in our lives, and and God is always there for us. So when it happened to me, I needed to do something I felt um, worthwhile and and, and useful, and I wanted what happened to me to um, to be used for good rather than or despair or harm.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: so I think God put that on my heart, and and I struggled with that a lot. You know, I, I'll be honest with you, I I'm like everybody else. You don't like to hear bad news, mm-hmm. and um. um the minute that my mindset changed from, you know, oh, woe is me to, hey, I can do something with this, then I really got encouraged. And uh, that's where I think God had a plan for me was to do something encouraging and supportive for other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's the kind of person that I am. I've always been, I've always had a servant's heart. And so why should that change just because i have alzheimer's you
1: know yeah yeah and and i think that that's really true i think um i think it's so important to help people um dealing with this fine purpose again because uh, sometimes when when a devastating um illness occurs it just wipes that out and you kind of think life is over and I mean, I see people do that all the time, and they they're looking at death, and they're not looking at at living and engaging and being purposeful, and so I think that that's just a critical, critical piece. I always tell people, you know, for my mom, that would have been a really long haul. you know she had it for thirty years if she yeah. gave up on life and and didn't feel purposeful, and I know she felt purposeful till the end in terms of trying to make a difference in this disease and you know was still teaching me things um you know even in her dying hours um incredible incredible woman you know and but i think that that's the power each of us has is to make a conscious choice of um you know making the world a better place um with and I whatever think people lo- need
3: to mm-hmm. I think people I'm sure- need to I was going to say, I think people need to hear those stories, and that's what I love so much about your website and about your mission is that you're sharing those kind of stories, and that is that is so important.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's important, you know, for all of us to share and to have these open forums and to have these everyday conversations, um, that so many people think can't take place, but they need to take place. I mean, we we so desperately need these conversations um, because I really believe they're they're the things that are going to change our care culture. I don't think it's going to be big policy and bureaucracy that's going to push through and and really touch the hearts and help people find the purpose. I think it's really going to be the grassroots everyday. Community um, action and um, collaboration, you know people coming together as one for a, a cause bigger than themselves um, that isn't you know driven by title. it's not driven by money it's not it's just driven by the by the greater good that needs to be done and um, and people being able to use their their talents and their skills in whatever fashion you know, those are in whatever um, time capacity that they have the ability to share them in. And um, and to also see the variety, I think, is really exciting from little kids now talking about this and getting engaged and getting compassionate to, you know, to, to all ages. Um, I just, I find it just absolutely fascinating how much things have changed and how much the conversation has, um, I'll say begun, um, because I think we still have a long ways to go, um, but, but it's out there and, and I don't think it's possible for the chatter to be quieted at this point. I think there's just too much passion and too much power and too much of people feeling purposeful behind it, um, that it's just not going to stop, you know, even, even if, um, some people think that, you know, it, it needs to be refined and put in a box. I, I just don't think it's going to happen, <laughs> you know, so.
3: I, I agree uh, with you 100%. I think the grassroots efforts that are going on are the things that make the big difference. And I know there has to be policies made and uh, and the government can do more, but the grassroots efforts of communities and people are really – what keeps the ball going. One of the things that Sarah and I are going to try to do, um, in our area, we live in a very small rural community. Um, There isn't a lot going on in these small rural communities. Um, So we go to a memory cafe. Um, The closest one is like 60 miles away in the big city of Louisville. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
3: uh, in fact, in the state, of Kentucky, there's probably only three memory cafes, and they're located in the highly populated areas. So we're thinking of starting, uh, and and we've already started the process of starting a memory cafe right here in our area because, and I didn't realize it, but in in our little community, we've probably got 10 folks um, that are suffering from, in the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. We have a lot of folks yep. that are in the later stages, but we have folks that are in the, 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 the early stages. Mm-hmm. And so having a memory cafe um, would be a, a way of, of helping those folks. And, and the ones that we have gone to, we have just absolutely loved, and the people are just great. And it's a great opportunity to come together. The caregivers get to talk. The patients get to talk. And and you get to to just socialize, and so yeah. we're going to try to start one at our church this fall, and we already have people that are interested in, in participating. So so the grassroots effort is is kind of the thing that that gets it going, and and the Alzheimer's Association has in in our state has offered to kind of help us along that path. So so
0: that's yeah, great.
1: That's wonderful. Yeah, very very exciting um, stuff. And we'll have to definitely get your memory cafe into our resource directory. Um, we're trying to track them where they're where they are all you know all over the place, but it's hard because so much of them are run by volunteers. And Right. right. Um, and uh, Deb Tindler actually is offering up a site where people can get a free website if they don't. You know so they can get a free web page um and have oh. a web presence and um her her name and contact information is on the Alzheimer's Speaks website um If you go to the about page and then go to the memory and alzheimer's cafes um she's one of the the mentors that I've pulled together around the world <clears throat> to help people um pull these together but yeah it's it's critical that they pop up ours ours has grown um, we're gonna be splitting into three groups now. Um, we've been doing it about oh, two and a half years. And we've got two others that have popped up within ten miles of our group, which is people are like, Oh, are you worried about that? And I'm like, No, this is great, you know, it's not about competition. It's about meeting the needs, you know, it's it's a whole it's a whole different angle that people don't understand. Um, that I just find fascinating because everyone's so used to the, the competition angle. You know, with everything, and and these are so not about competition. They're truly about building community, and um, and you know, being supportive. And uh, it's just absolutely, I, I think, beautiful. Um, and again, you know, another thing that came from from the UK that they just opened their arms up and shared with us. You know, on, on these memory cafes. So that'll be exciting. But you'll have to definitely keep me posted. Um guessed okay. on that for sure um when you um you know you talked a little bit about how you went about writing um your book, you know God still remembers me um was it i mean some people say that you know writing it can be a really painful process <laughs> because stuff doesn't always come to them how How did you deal with it, or did things just flow to you well? I'm
3: not sure anything flows when you have Alzheimer's, but <laughs> um, in, in a lot of ways, as I kind of look back on it, things did did flow fairly well. I mean, um, a lot of times I would just sit down at my computer, um, and I'd have no thoughts, mm-hmm. um, and I would find a scripture that I really liked. Um, I, I, I read every day. You know, I, that is one of one of my coping strategies is reading um, so i would i would read the bible every day and when a scripture would come up i would just type that scripture in uh, mm-hmm. on on one of the pages and i'd say i want to write about this and so i would kind of uh... jot down some ideas and i might not be able to write a devotional that day but i would have two or three thoughts
1: mm-hmm.
3: and i would uh... go about my daily activities and i'd be thinking about that and Um, the next day I would just sit down and something would come to mind. And so I would start writing. And once I got into the writing of it, you know, I would get all kinds of ideas. Now, there were problem days. You know, I would think that I'm writing something that's really great, and I'd get up the next morning and read it, and it made absolutely no sense, Laurie. I mean... (laughs) I read that sentence and I go, what in the world was I trying to write? Mm-hmm. And, and it was comical at times, I mean, uh, because, you know, your brain thinks that you're doing something, but it doesn't get, you know, relayed to your hands and onto the computer screen, just like it is in your brain for some reason. I, I don't yeah. understand it at all. But there would be days like that, and I would sit and just laugh, and then, I would have days that I'd forget to save the thing. You know? Mm-hmm. And I'd turn the computer off. And of course sometimes it would save it, you know, in one of those save files and I would open it up the next day and I would not accept the save and I would have lost everything I wrote the last last day. Uh-huh. So you know, there were struggles and uh but I didn't let it get me down. I'd just go, Well, I think I know what I wanted and I'd start over again. So uh-huh. It was kind of neat and and comical. I, I should probably write about that sometime. Um, in fact, in this other book I'm I'm working on, I've kind of recorded some of those thoughts of the stupid things that I did while I was writing. Um, but you know, that's okay. I, I kind of it's kind of in uh, under the new normal. I learned how to deal with that, and I just I just kept plugging on and mm-hmm. and I can't thank my wife enough. She was the one that would kind of read through them after I'd get some done and she'd go and she'd highlight them and go, "I don't think this makes any sense."
0: Mm-hmm. And so
3: I'd go back and I'd look at them and sure enough, I mean, they didn't make sense. And so I I'd, I'd work on them.
0: Uh, uh-huh.
3: But that was kind of my strategy on, on on writing and and how I kept it flowing. And and writing every day was the key because it um it just kind of kept my mind focused on it um, until I got it done. And it took almost a little over three years to get it all written. And then uh, about three or four months to, for me to go back and edit it, and then a month for Sarah to go through and edit it, and then another month for me to uh, make those changes and, and give it to the publisher. And, you know, and there are mistakes in the book. And. hmm you know, it is written by someone, you know, that has Alzheimer's disease it isn't perfect.
1: Well, it, you know, that's that's part of the part of the process too, you know. Um with it and and I think that's you know um, part of the disease that that people need to see. I mean you, you can read stuff that I've written and you know I am just not good at. I, I'm a good writer but I'm not a good technical writer you know, when it comes to things. And so I know for me I will definitely need an editor to go through. Um, but you know all that stuff you know costs money to do and and things and I, I still think that it's a it's a great you know, it's a great book, um, and I think it'll be very, very useful. Very, very useful for for a lot of people. Um, now, to get the book, I know um, it, I believe it's out on Amazon.com, and it's in the bookstores on Barnes and Noble. Is that correct?
3: Well, it's it's mostly online. I don't. I'm not sure that it's reached uh, bookstores per se okay. yet. Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAMillion.com, Lifeway.com, CrossBooks.com. I mean, there's a lot of online sites that have it.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
3: And then, of course, in my local community, it's in some of the bookstores. But um, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of new to this whole publishing thing, and I don't really know. At what point does it get into bookstores? Yep. So, yeah, well, yeah. yeah,
1: you usually need to to work with distributors and things on that, and so you know that makes uh, that makes it a little bit uh, a little bit tricky, um, you know, because everybody everybody wants their handout, you know, for that process and stuff. But I think you know more and more people are buying online, um, and it costs a pretty penny to get your book in the bookstores, um, and and I'm not sure that, you know you know i think if we can get you know help everybody kind of help spread the word of of you know what your book is about there are a lot of churches now really getting interested in dementia and so this would be perfect you know for for them to be able to recommend um you know to that audience in fact i'm i'm going to be part of a conference this may um and I will bring this book as a as a resource for people because you know I think faith-filled people would really be attracted to this. And so you know I think there's lots of other ways to be able to to get your book out there as well. And um, tapping into into the um, I think you know religious organizations would make a lot of a lot of sense along with just social media as well on that. So. Well, good. Well, I'm I'm just uh, thrilled that you were able to spend time with us today um, and and talk about your book. Do you have um, is there a favorite um, devotion that you wanted to share with people? I'm kind of putting you on the spot.
3: Well, um, I think the one that I enjoyed writing the most it was. Uh, it was actually a, a week's worth of devotions, and it was called the Right Rocks, and it deals with those things that kind of help you along with your struggles. and And there were, and it was based on um, on the scripture where David fights Goliath, and he picks up five stones in his sling when he goes to fight Goliath. And so I did a devotion on each of the stones that helps me uh, fight my disease, and that was family, friends, fitness, focus, and faith, and then I did a a devotion on the sling. And so they were the most fun to write. Um, They're the ones that I remember the most. Um, I mean, they were all a a joy to write, but that that one week's worth really stuck out in my mind. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, good. That that makes a lot of a lot of sense. I think, like I said, I think the titles um, to all of these are really are really great. And the right rock starts on page two hundred and four, right. um, and underneath it, you've got uh, Monday was family, Tuesday was friends, Wednesday was fitness, Thursday was focus, Friday faith, Saturday was a sling. And Sunday, be still and know the Lord is with you and yeah. um and then you have um daily exercises um too, you know with all of these that we didn't really um talk about um in here or is that or is that one of your chapters the the daily exercise, well, that
3: exercise was was one of the was one of the weeks
1: uh... okay yep Okay, yep, I was getting confused here. Like, I don't remember seeing exercises in here, but maybe maybe I missed it. <laughs> Good to check. Well, again, I really, I really thank you both, Paul and Sarah, for being with us today. And, um, you know, people can contact Paul via email, um, which is on the blog and also on uh, Blog Talk Radio's page. Or you can go to his uh, blog site, faithful dot com again that's faithful dot com and again, I just uh thank you for all your your time and energy you know with us today. It was just uh it was really a pleasure to get to know you and I look forward to uh seeing what else you come up with with your writings. You've got a lot of big plans there, and um i find that that i i just find that fascinating. And I want to thank you for all the all the work you're doing to to help shift our dementia care culture and and make it a better make it a better world.
3: Well, thank you, Lori, for for having us on your show. Thank you for all that you do for the community. I mean, you are such an advocate and and such a well-renowned voice for for um, Alzheimer's folks. Um, it, it's just amazing. I, I don't. I don't even know if you know the impact that you have. It, uh, it is just tremendous. So thank you.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I, it, you know, with my, my passing of my mom, I I was just overwhelmed at the people that, that reached out to me all over the world. And I just
0: thought, wow,
1: Mom, you've really had an impact.
3: Oh, Absolutely.
1: And, Quite profound. And I know
3: she loved you dearly, and and uh, and you have done so much for her and now for this community that words can never express.
1: Thank yep. you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And you have a wonderful week, and I'm sure we'll be in touch, okay?
3: All right. God bless you. Bye-bye.
1: Okay, bye-bye. For those of you that um, have not had a chance to... Uh, to check out AlzheimerSpeaks. dot com, I would encourage you to do that. Um, from there, you'll you can find out about the last radio show, which again um, was a couple of weeks ago, just because of my my mother's passing. But we did a show on uh, dementia and wandering. What do you need to know? And that was on March fourth. Our next show will be on the twenty fifth, and we're going to be talking about surviving. Alzheimer's. We're going to be reviewing just a fabulous book. In fact, people in our memory cafe um, have not given me the book back because they're passing it around because they found it to be such a great resource. Um, Our last Dementia Chats is uh, also on AlzheimerSpeaks.com. Go to the About page to Dementia Chats section. And um, that was on a conversation about diagnosis and stages and medical professionals and um, all kinds of things, that power of purpose that we talked about a little bit today. And next week we will be doing another Dementia Chats where I interview people with dementia and the public is, um, you know, this is free to join and we'd love to hear your questions and comments. On the blog you'll find out... um, several different uh, blogs uh, um, because Hope Matters interviewed me yesterday. And so there's a link to that show. There's an article by our intern, Michelle, called Close to Home. She always writes great articles. Um, and then I had uh, an article that was done uh, by the Pioneer Press here about memory cafes. They just did a great job interviewing our group. And then there was a couple of articles about um you know, my mom's passing and what I'm grateful for, you know, and dementia, is there anything to be grateful for? And also one that said dementia people just keep surprising me. So feel free to go and check those out. You can get all of those from the main website, alzheimerspeaks.com. And again, if you're interested in becoming a Purple Angel and helping raise awareness, please get a hold of me. I would love to love to talk to you regarding that. Um, and remember Alzheimer's Disease International if you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, as well as if you're looking for a holistic approach, um, check out the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. Um, They just have some great tools you'll be able to use. The Lewy Body Dementia Association, the Frontal Temporal Lobe, and the National Aphasia Association are are specific um, associations that can help you um, with this disease as well. And don't forget the Alzheimer's Studies uh, group. And uh, you can go to the Alzheimer's team on Facebook. That will get you to the Alzheimer'sStudies.com uh, with, with the TAU um, trial. So thank you so much, and I look forward to talking with you all next week. Have a, have a blessed week. Bye now.